Um, I will be, uh, this, this August marks eight years of me being a uh, senior pastor here. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. It really does. Uh, we're having a good time. Uh, the elders have uh, granted me a sabbatical this summer as part of that. A sabbatical, yes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and basically what that will mean is this. Uh, some of you know that that's coming, uh, and several people have asked, so I'll just go ahead and address this head on. No, I, that does not mean I am leaving, okay? Uh, I am not going anywhere. You're stuck with me, all right? Uh, but uh, what it does mean is that I will be out of the office and out of the pulpit for about eight weeks. And um, not to worry, you will be in good hands. Uh, Pastor Stephen will preach a couple weeks at the beginning of the summer, and then my good friend Brad Reardon from up in uh, DeKalb, uh, the founding pastor of the Free Church in Sycamore, DeKalb, um, is, will be here for the month of July, and then I believe our area superintendent for the Free Church uh, will be coming down from Freeport to preach for a couple of weeks in August. And then for one of those weeks in August, I will be in the Congo, um, the former uh, country of Zaire, before that the, uh, the uh, Belgian Congo, back when they were owned by the Belgians. Um, now it's the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, they've had a democratic uh, government now for the last several years. But I get the opportunity to spend, uh, spend time with a couple of dozen pastors who are going into remote areas of the Congo and planting churches. And um, there's a movement with the Free Church um, called uh, Pathways uh, to Understanding the Bible. And what, what we do uh, on that is uh, teach pastors how to read and understand and preach their Bible. Because a lot of these guys have never had any kind of formal instruction in how to take your Bible and open it up and understand it. Some of you have been through kind of a mini version of that with Kenton and the book of Jonah. That's the first one that we do is the book of Jonah. Second one is Second Timothy. Uh, third is Genesis. And I'll be doing Genesis with about 40 of these Congolese pastors. Um, and the requirement for us to go back is... Uh, to uh, that they have to go reproduce the training in someone else. So three years ago, Pathways got started when Brad retired from the, the church up there in uh, Sycamore and uh, started with 40 pastors in India and then has spread to several other countries. At this point, we have 2,500 pastors that are involved in training either at the beginning stages or... Uh, as it's going, and it just keeps mushrooming out, and and these guys are going into some of the remotest parts of the earth, planting churches, and I'll have the privilege of being able to go and help some of these guys to understand the book of Genesis, and uh, and to preach it, and to proclaim the truth of it to their people, and to plant churches, and so forth, so a uh, great opportunity um, couple of things that I need you all to do while I'm on sabbatical. Number one, I need you to pray for our church. I won't be leaving until the middle of June, but I need you to pray for our church. 
and I need you to continue to come and continue to minister and continue to offer sacrificially of your time and your resources uh, because the church is more than just me. Amen? Uh, this is the Lord Jesus church, not my church. Uh, but um, but I also need you to, to pray and to, and to continue to give and attend and, and serve as you have, uh, just as you do in my presence, so in my absence. Amen? Uh, but in addition to that, uh, in order to go on this trip to Congo, I need to raise some money. And Congo is a very expensive country to get to. It's one of those places on the earth that uh, is kind of a, uh, you can't get there from here, you have to go somewhere else and start. And, and so you can get there either by flying into Belgium and then into somewhere in Africa and then, and then into the Congo itself. Or you can fly from Chicago to Washington to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia or into Nairobi or into Johannesburg and then into Kinshasa. <laughs> but there's no direct way of getting there. That makes the flight uh, a bit salty. And then the Congolese love Americans, and so they decide to charge us $500 for a visa to get into, our, to get into their country. Uh, but in any case, um, they, they do. They love Americans. That's why they want us to spend money there. Um, but in any case, uh, I need to raise about $3,000 to go do this training. Uh, about three-quarters of that is the visa and the flight. And the remainder, once you're there... It's very, very cheap, uh, <laughs> but getting there is more than half of the fun, and so um, if you are interested in supporting me in that effort, um, Eric has a fund, um, the Missions Trip Fund established, and you can give to that, and uh, we certainly would covet your prayers between now and then. That'll happen in August, and then as soon as I get back from Congo, I will be back in the pulpit here, so that'll be, um, that'll be exciting and fun, but... But do pray for me, pray for our family. Um, we'll be leaving uh, the middle of June. Uh, we'll take some time just to basically recharge. I'm going to visit about a half a dozen churches, um, none of which have openings. So again, don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we're, but we're just going to uh, be refreshed by the body of Christ. We're going to take some time to study and to pray and to rest and to kind of refill the bucket and so that I will have a lot to, to uh, offer when I get back. So do pray for me in that. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and before we jump in there, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you that we can call out to you and say to you, Our Father who is in heaven. Father, it is through Jesus Christ that we can call you our Father. We thank you for him and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead by which we have the right to call out Abba, Father. Father, we pray you would illuminate your scripture to us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand it and to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, back in the day when I was a young seminarian, I had a lot of theology and Bible classes. I learned to read Jonah and Ruth in the original Hebrew. 
Uh, I read Ephesians and 1 John and Galatians and Romans in the original Greek. I took theology and apologetics and textual criticism and homiletics. I studied every single book of the Bible. I wrote a thesis on the practical implications for Christian marriage on the doctrine of the Trinity. I became theologically sophisticated enough that I can tell you to this day the difference between a monophysite and a monothelite. And it was magnificent. If you're curious, I'll tell you later. Uh, my years at Dallas Seminary were magic days, and I would not trade them. And if you want a good place to learn the Bible and theology and sit under incredible godly men and be taught, uh, these guys had forgotten more than I have ever learned about God and the Bible and about theology. And it is a fantastic place. But you know one of the things I didn't learn there? Or at least one of the things that was left out of the course catalog? How to pray so that God will hear you. I sat under some godly men who modeled it every day in class, but I never had a class where they took us all aside and said, all right, gentlemen, if you want to be a successful pastor, if you want to be able to minister the gospel to other people, this is how you need to talk to God. They never did that, explicitly anyway. And so if you have your Bible, you know, you know, if you've read any of it, that prayer is pretty important and that God wants us to talk with him. So how do we actually do it? What are the mechanics of it? What do I say? How do I address the God of the universe? Can I ask for things or is that a presumptuous thing? Um, I want to show you this morning, therefore, what Jesus had to say about these things. You know, Jesus, in a sense, takes us aside here in Matthew chapter 6 and says, this is how you should pray. So how do you do it? Uh, if you've got your Bible, open it up to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And um, we'll take a look here at what Jesus says about prayer. Uh, beginning verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Uh, what Jesus is telling us here is that when we pray, we need to eliminate empty religious blathering. You know, those of you who know me know that I like to talk. Sometimes, you know, if you're a guy who likes to talk or a woman who likes to talk, you can just start rambling on right and the the gentiles in jesus day these pagan people you know they had a variety of gods and goddesses that they would worship and bow down to and they thought that prayer was like shopping at sam's you know like that what you really needed to do was was pray in quantity right and and that god paid attention as long as you prayed in bulk Right? <laughs> because their idea of God was that, um, that God was sitting up there, or whoever he was, you know, Zeus or, or you know, Ceres or whoever they were praying to, that that God or that goddess is not terribly interested actually in humanity. And so if you wanted to pray, you had to get their attention in some form or fashion. And so a good prayer equals a long prayer with a lot of stuff in it. 
you know, you needed to kind of back up the theological truck and turn the dump on, you know, and you just kind of, uh, you know, unload everything you know about that God or that goddess. And Jesus says, no, that God is not like that. That when you pray, you know, you don't need to, like, like I say, pray in bulk. Why? Why not? He says, because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know what the most important words in those two verses are? I'll give them to you. Your Father. Your Father. It's a different kind of relationship that we have with God through faith in Christ than what the pagans had with their gods and their goddesses, right? You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. 1 Kings 18. Elijah is up there on the mountain by himself, the lone prophet of God. 450 prophets of Baal on the other side. They're going to offer sacrifice. And they said, now look, you offer your sacrifice, but don't light it. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all day long, the prophets of Baal are shouting and praying and dancing, and they're running around naked and slashing themselves with spears and swords and whatever. Get to the end of the day, and nothing has happened. In fact, the text says, but there was no answer. No one said anything, <laughs> right? In other words, there was no answer from heaven. Baal is not, must not be there. And so Elijah starts making fun of him a little bit. He says things like this. Well, maybe you need to shout a little louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on a trip. He literally says that. He uses a euphemism. He says, maybe he's covering his feet. In the bathroom. Okay, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep. You need to wake him up. Shout louder, shout louder. And of course, they do, and nothing happens. And then Elijah, at the end of the day, at the time of the evening sacrifice, builds his altar, makes his sacrifice, and then at a time where it has not rained for three and a half years, he instructs his servants to pour water, and they pour water and pour water and pour water, gallons of it all over the, the sacrifice. And then Elijah steps back, bows his head, and prays two sentences, and the fire of God falls. Why? Well, because, number one, the God to whom you pray and to whom Elijah prayed is real, and he is there, and he is not otherwise occupied with whatever. And in addition to that, according to Jesus, he is your Father. And so he does not need convincing he does not need lots of words. He is not sitting up there going, well, you know, I would, but I, I don't know. You haven't prayed long enough. Maybe if you pray a little longer. No. If you're a dad, you understand. When your kids ask for something, it doesn't generally take a lot of persuasion, right? In fact, in my house, I'm an easy mark, and my kids know this, <laughs> right? Dad? On the way home from Moana tonight, can we get ice cream? They, they, know, they know to ask me because mom will say no. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> but I will almost always say yes. Why? Because I'm their dad. And I love them, right? And I want to be asked, the same as God wants to be asked. But nevertheless, I'm their father, and I love them. And in the same way, God knows what our needs are before we ask. And so we don't need to beg and plead and scream and yell and, you know, like I say, pray in bulk, hoping that somehow some of these words that we're putting up into the air are going to stick. God knows what we need before we ask Him, and He loves us. And He delights to answer prayer. So, so far in chapter 6, we've learned not to pray to impress other people and not to pile up words as if God doesn't care and He needs convincing. What are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 9 to 13, He says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, if you grew up in a certain kind of church, you repeated these words every single week as part of worship. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I don't think that Jesus' intention here was to give us words to memorize and repeat so much as He's giving us a pattern to follow. He isn't giving us a mantra to recite, but a model to imitate. And a pattern. And as you look at Jesus' model, what you see is that He begins again with these words, Our Father. And I think, again, these are the two most important words in the whole prayer. Because they're important, first of all, because Jesus is teaching us whom to address. When we pray, who do we pray to? Christian prayer, properly speaking, is addressed to the Father through the Son by means of the Spirit's enablement. Okay? We believe in a triune God. Uh, and and by that we mean that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons who each are eternally existent and have the same attributes but have different roles within the Godhead. And so we pray to the Father through the Son by means of the Spirit's enablement and power. Now, does that mean it's wrong to pray to Jesus? No, I'm not saying that. But... At the same time, Jesus gives us a model and a pattern. He encourages us to address God, our Father. And the second reason that that's important is that there is a relationship that is there. Or that in some cases, even in a room like this, might not be there. God is not everyone's Father. Amen? He is your Father, and he is, you're able to pray our Father who is in heaven. If he, if he is the person you have come to know through faith in Jesus Christ. That if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, and by that I mean, you have first of all admitted that you are a sinner, and that you cannot earn your way to heaven on your own. And then you have believed 
that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and also a, a perfect man who lived the perfect life who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you eternal life. And then you have committed your life to him. Then you may say to God, our father. Because he is your father at that point. He has adopted you into his family and made you one of his children. But not everyone is a child of God. You are a child of God only if you have come to him through Jesus Christ. Amen? But we who believe in Jesus Christ have God as our Father. And this is, by the way, an entirely new thing, pretty much, to the people Jesus is talking to. Did you know that in the entire Old Testament, the term Father is used of God a total of 14 times? In the entire Old Testament. But it's the most frequent term that Jesus uses to talk about God in the New Testament. In fact, if you want to count, I think I counted in this chapter, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus refers to God as Father 11 times, just in this chapter, versus the whole Old Testament, which does it a total of 14. And why is that? It's because Jesus in his coming brings a new kind of relationship with God that we can possess. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, God is speaking when he speaks to his people and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt with my outstretched hand and my mighty arm. Right? And there's very much the sense of God's majesty and power and his sovereign control and his raising up and taking down of nations, and, and how the Israelites are the fulfillment of his plan. And that's all good stuff. Things we need to know. But with the coming of Jesus, God came near. And therefore, we are allowed to address him primarily as our Father. That's a privilege and a blessing that we possess. And of course, God is not just our Father, He is also in heaven. He is near to us, but He is exalted far above us in authority and power. So even as we address God as Father, we need to do so with a high degree of reverence because He is enthroned in heaven and we are His creatures and we are here on earth. Amen? So we don't come to God flippantly or casually. You know, some churches advertise casual worship. And I know what they mean. You know, they mean you can come in blue jeans and shorts. And that's totally okay. And you can do that here. Okay? All we care about is that you are closed. Right? <laughs> but <laughs> seriously, we got real minimal standards on that. But we don't approach God casually. And we don't worship casually either. Like it's just, you know, something that we uh, kind of, you know, well, I'm going to kind of worship today. You know, it's kind of, you know, whatever, man. I mean, you know, that is not how we come to God. Coming before the living God is a tremendous privilege and blessing, but it's also a serious thing, not a casual thing. Amen. And then Jesus 
asks us to pray recognizing God's character. And so he says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is a word we don't use much outside of this context. But it means to make something holy. So when we are praying, hallowed be your name, we are recognizing in prayer the greatness and majesty and utter set-apartness and distinctness of the living God. And we are recognizing that who God is and what He has done. And we are praying, like I love, I forget the name of the song, I think it's called Prince of Peace, where we sing all the attributes of God, or at least part of them. Remember singing that one? You know, you are Lord of Lords, the great I Am. You are Alpha Omega, the beginning, the end. You are Prince of Peace. Um, we sing those things because it's important that we recognize who God is and what He has done for us. And then moving on, uh, Jesus says to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is recognition that when we're praying, what ultimately matters is not our requests and our plans, but God's plans and His perfect uh, unfolding of his purposes and plans and goals for creation and for us and that we fit into something larger than just whatever we're doing right you know sometimes a kid if you're if if you have kids especially little kids you know this you know the most important thing in that kid's world is whatever they are doing and whatever they want right But when we pray, in a sense, we're to come to God with the level of humility and trust in Him like a little kid, but we're not to talk to Him, in a sense, like a little kid. You know, like, well, I want it, and I want it now, and I need it, right? I need it. I've got a little niece that says that to her mother. It's really cute. She's three, all right? So it's fine, you know, when she says, I need it. Well, what do you want that for? I need it, right? But we're not to be like that when we come to God. We're to recognize that God's will is primary, not our will is primary. And that on top of that, the accomplishment of God's will in the world would be the best thing that could possibly happen. Because what would happen, as an example, if God's will were done on earth as it is in heaven? Would things get better or worse? Better. In fact, Far better, right? If God's kingdom were to replace the kingdoms of this world, would that be better for us or worse? Far better, right? And so when we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, God, I've got my plans and my goals and my ideas and what is a good thing, but if I have to choose between my plans and my purposes and my goals and my thinking and your will. I want your will. And in fact, I want your will so much that I want your kingdom to come and be established because I know ultimately that's what all this is leading up to is the establishment of God's rule on the earth and the elimination of sin and death and evil and the triumph of goodness and righteousness, and the dwelling place of God being with men. And whatever happens, Father, I'll take it if it leads to that. 
because that is the ultimate goal. And I know that I'm just a little part of the plan leading up to the ultimate plan, which is the establishment of your rule and authority and your powerful will being enacted across the whole universe. And so we pray recognizing God's will and God's plans and that we fit into a part of that. Amen? You know, we pray, as, as James says, we pray, if the Lord wills, then we will live and we will do this or that. Amen? And praying for God's will to be done, by the way, is not some kind of act of resigned submission. It's not, a, it's not a thought of, well, okay, God, this is what I really want, but your will be done. It's praying that God would do as He has so gloriously promised and bring a final end to evil and establish the kingdom and live among us. It's praying that I will have a role to play in God's unfolding drama and bringing that glorious promise into reality and asking Him to submit my will to the greater unfolding of that drama and that story. And after we have prayed for God's will to be done, at that point I think it makes sense to ask Him for what we need. And we need a lot of things. Amen? And so Jesus says that he identifies just three of them. There are other things that you can pray for. Again, this is a pattern. This isn't meant to you know, exclude certain things or only include these things or that kind of thing. This is a pattern. And Jesus says we ought to pray for our daily needs, for forgiveness for our sins, and for deliverance from sin and evil. So we pray for our daily bread. Now, not too many of us are worried about whether or not we're going to eat today or tomorrow or next week or next month or whatever. Probably a lot of us, if we had to, could survive for the next 30 days on what we have in the pantry, the fridge, and the freezer. But that is because God is already answering the prayers that we pray. Remember, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so He has already been in the process of answering our prayers for our daily needs to be met, which is why we have so much. But nevertheless, we should pray for our daily needs. We should pray not just for food, although we should pray for that, we should pray for the things that are on our hearts. The things that are weighing on us. The things that worry us. You know, somebody t gave me a secret one time. Uh, when, and I was, asking, I was asking a guy, I said, how do you keep focused when you pray? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, when I get to praying, I have all this stuff that starts coming into my head. Or, you know, things that I'm concerned about or worried about and whatever. And I'm just trying to focus on praying and Talking to God about people and their needs and you know stuff that's going on. He goes, so do you pray about that stuff that's coming into your head? And I went, I'm like, I see where this is going, but I'm going to answer him anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> and he's like, well, dummy. <laughs> Seriously, he did. He said that to me. He said, well, dummy, here's what I would do. 
when God, that's God bringing stuff to mind for you to pray about. Why don't you pray about that and see how that goes? And you know what I found out? I might be a slow learner, but I am not that slow. <laughs> when God brings stuff to mind, I've learned to pray about that. Go, okay, I know I've got this whole list of things I was going to pray about, but God is talking to me right here about this stuff. And so I need to talk to him about that too. Right? Because we need to pray about what is in us, not what ought to be in us, right? And so when I've got all these worries and stresses and whatever, and, and what I'm really concerned about is that stuff, well, it's fine to have a prayer list and to work through those things and to pray and talk to God about those things, but what about the stuff God is bringing to mind right now? Pray about that stuff too. Pray about what's really on your heart. Right? And God will answer because he knows what you need before you ask him. Right? Uh, we're dependent on God for everything that we have and everything that we need. And so when we pray, we ought to ask him for what we really need. We ought to pray for our forgiveness of our sins because our biggest needs are not material. Amen. Our biggest needs are spiritual. And so we ought to pray and confess our sins because our sin incurs a debt before God that we cannot, we cannot pay. But since God is our Father through faith in Jesus Christ, we can ask for forgiveness and know that we receive it. Uh, but note, note here, look at your text. I want you to see this. I want you to take your, your pencil or your pen or whatever it is. I'm going to tell you to write in your Bible. It's not a sin. All right. Verse 12, I want you to circle or underline or highlight or whatever you got to do. The word as. There's a condition to you and I receiving forgiveness. As we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words... If you want forgiveness for your sins, what do you have to do? First, you have to forgive those who have sinned against you. Why? Is it because God is stingy with forgiveness? No, it's because God cannot forgive you of your sins while you are still holding on to them and refusing to let them go. And to be unforgiving is to be engaged at the very moment in sin. Amen? And so God can't forgive you of your sins while you are still saying, but I've got one that I kind of treasure. <laughs> this person that did this to me, I've decided not to forgive them, but I really need you to forgive me. God can't do that. Not because he's unloving, but because he can't forgive us of sin while we're still harboring it and holding on to it and petting it and telling us how much we love it, right? <laughs> okay. You remember Bugs Bunny, right? I will love him and hug him and name him George, right? <laughs> right? If we treat our unforgiveness like that, God can't forgive us of the other things that we need forgiveness for, right? And so we've got to first can be forgiving of other people their sins against us and then confess our unforgiveness 
and then confess our other sins, and then God can forgive us. Amen? But until then, God forgives us our sins exactly like we forgive other people theirs, which isn't good. <laughs> right? And then he says to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or your Bible may read, from the evil one. Uh, either of those are, are valid translations. But the idea is that, God, I know that even though I have confessed my sin, that I am still prone to it, and that I still like it many times, and I need your deliverance and protection and help to stay away from it, and I need your protection from the evil one who wants to trip me up, who wants me to fall into sin, and who wants me to wander away from you. I need help. And so we ought to pray for that. We ought to seek God's deliverance from sin, uh, not just past sin, but our temptation toward future sin. Amen? Uh, now, you might be wondering at this point, do I have to pray with these words every time? No. Do I have to pray all in this same order? No. Do I have to pray every one of these kinds of prayers every time that I pray? No. It's a model. It's not a mandate. It's okay, for example, to simply pray a prayer of adoration and worship sometimes. It's okay to sometimes simply pray for forgiveness. It's okay to shoot up those little arrow prayers that some of us do sometimes. God, I'm in a heap of trouble. I need help now. <laughs> right? Okay, it's okay to do that. But a healthy prayer life includes all of these kinds of prayers. Prayers of confession. Prayers of that I need protection. I need help. I've been screwing up on this same thing time after time and I'm tired of it. I need deliverance. It's okay to pray that way. It's okay to pray and you should pray that way. You should pray for your daily needs, for the things that are going on in your life. You should pray for other people and their daily needs as they are on your heart. You should pray prayers of adoration and say, God, I cannot believe that You are my Father. When I consider the heavens, the work of Your fingers, what is man that You are mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you care for Him. And you can personalize that and say, Who am I that the God who made the universe cares about me? A creature He made originally out of dirt, remember? Right? God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, right? We are people made out of mud. And yet the God of the universe cares about you and me personally and gives us the right to say to Him, Our Father who is in heaven. That is an amazing thing. And there ought to be in your life prayers of adoration. right? And if you need some help on this, sometimes I need help. Psalms gives you an excellent model. If you read Psalms, there's 150 Psalms in there, and some of them have uh, every one of these types of prayers in there, sometimes intermixed, 
within the same psalm. Some, some of them are more dedicated to individual types of prayer. But they're all prayers of all different kinds. Some of them are laments like, God, my situation stinks and I don't like it. And they're pouring out their heart to God. Some of them are prayers of confession. Some of them are prayers of worship and adoration. Some of them are prayers for rescue and deliverance. And some are prayers for the meeting of very real present needs. But a healthy prayer life includes all these things. Last thing here. One more thing. All prayers need to come from a forgiving heart. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this is the second time in four verses that Jesus has talked about the importance of forgiving other people. Do you think he is serious about it? Say yes. (laughs) Okay. He wants us to forgive other people. Amen? And if you want to be forgiven by God, how many people need forgiven by God today? Okay? I was in sin before I got here. Right? I need forgiven today. And I'll need forgiven probably on the way home. Right? Of something. I'll get grumpy when I drive down the street. I don't know. Something will happen. And I'll need forgiveness, right? And if we want to be forgiven, we have to exercise toward other people the same grace we have received because God cannot forgive our sin while we're still hanging on to it. Amen? And unforgiveness is sin. So, here's the bottom line. You want God to hear your prayers? Then pray for God's will. And pray for God's provision. Pray for God's forgiveness. Pray for God's deliverance. Pray in worship to the living God with a forgiving heart. And if you do, you can have confidence of this, that because He is your Father, that He will answer you. Our Father in heaven loves you and wants to hear from you and from me. And our Father loves us and knows what we need even before we ask. So we can confidently expect that we will receive what we have asked for from Him. Amen? Because He's our Father and He loves us. So let's pray and let's talk to our Father in heaven together. Amen? God, our Heavenly Father, what a wondrous title that is. That we can come before You and say that God is our Father. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the adoption as sons and inheritance in the kingdom of God, the brotherhood with one another, that we are part of the family of God. And that one day, you, when you establish your kingdom, we will reign and rule with you at your side. What a marvelous thing it is, Father. 
to be your child, to have our sins forgiven, and the right to address you and ask for what we desperately need. Father, we thank you that you hear us. And that because you love us, you provide what we need sometimes before we get the prayer out of our mouth. We thank you for all these things, Father, in Jesus' name.